It's nice to have our dinglings back. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? I don't know about you, it's just been busy in our house. Of course, uh, Gene, did you get a chance to talk about Casey? Okay, Casey Waite has attended our church. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist. His wife is. Casey was in a major automobile accident this last week, sliced off part of his face. He hit a road grader, crushed his leg, broke his arm. He's in intensive care. He's in an induced coma right at this point. They're going to have surgery on his face Monday. Uh, We need to pray for Casey. There is a card in the back, if you wouldn't mind, as you go out to write a little something on the card. Uh, He just needs all the encouragement he can get, so his wife. But uh, she has uh, miraculous faith. She says, through it all, you know, most wives, they just had a little baby just a few months ago. Uh, You would think that they would be in a panic, but she says, you know, I think the Lord may have spared his life and will bless him for some reason or other. I don't know what it is now, but uh, I'm just praying that the Lord will reveal it to us. So if you get a chance, write a little message to Casey and uh, encourage him as well, too. Of course, we all heard about uh, about well, this thing's there Fort Hood this past week and all the tragedies that took place there with the 13 people being killed and 30 people being wounded. Uh, if you watched and listened to the television, uh, all the major networks and cable networks uh, had something that was just going continuously about that. And then the next day was the uh, tragedy that took place in Orlando where a man killed one, came in and sh- shot and wounded five others. Um, this world looks like it's falling apart. And again, the news media talked about it all along and everything else. But there's one thing that happened not this last week, but a few months ago that had a little bit of coverage, but it never really was shared, except for those who watch the Hope Channel. Some of you have the Hope Channel. Um, Brad Thorpe, who is uh, in charge of the Hope Channel, is a friend of mine, and uh, he shared with a thing that took place a few months ago, you probably remember, when President Obama met in Italy, with the, he was there for the G8 summit. He met with Pope Benedict XVI. And if you remember, Pope Benedict gave President Obama a gift. Do you remember that? All we saw was just a little bit of a book that was handed over that was a leather-bound book. But not a whole lot was mentioned about the book itself. That book was, was written by Pope Benedict for the purpose of the G8 summit and for a special message to President Obama. Uh, it, the book was entitled uh, the, the Charity of Truth. And um, Hope Channel got a hold of the book, a copy of the book, um, and they went through it. And you can get a, a video through the Hope Channel about this. It goes in more detail than what I will go through. But uh, there's some interesting facts that uh, were written in this uh, that I think that we should all know about. Um, Number one is the fact that a global government of true world political authority is needed that will will fix all the problems that that plagues the world today. So they're talking about a one 
world government. Second thing, the Pope says that this new political authority will make its decision based on spiritual values. Does that make a concern to anyone? Third thing, the spiritual values cannot be derived from just any religion since not all religions are equal. So the papacy should be at the head of this government and talking about the religious values. Goes on to the fourth thing, the church must influence. When it talks about the church influencing, we're talking about the Roman church must influence all areas of society since God must have a place in the public public realm, specifically in regards to its culture, social, economic, and political dimensions. The next thing it talks about is the political uh, authority must have real teeth. This one world government must have real teeth and be vested with the effective power to enforce its laws around the world. The sixth thing is that the new world governing power will institute socialistic policies for government to redistribute wealth, take away from the rich and give it to the poor. Sounds like Robin Hood, huh? Number seven, labor unions are to be empowered to play a decisive role in the new world order. Number eight, Pope Benedict says that this encyclical, this book that he wrote, is to help achieve the goal of the history of the human family, to build the universal city of God. Number nine, while claiming not to interfere in any way in the politics of states, the Pope redefined religious liberty as happening when the world obeys laws shaped by the Roman Church's spiritual values. According to the Pope, as the Church influences states to enforce its view of truth on others, people are set free. The mission of truth is something that the Church can never renounce. Number 10. To believe in an immortal soul, the Pope says that man is God's creature whom God chose to endow with an immortal soul. Now, see, they didn't talk about this in the news media. They spent hours and hours and hours talking about a guy shooting everyone else, and we should remember the families in prayer that were involved in those things, and that definitely was a tragedy. But here's a tragedy that can affect every man, woman, and child in the entire world, a one-world government. Brothers and sisters, you know what this tells me? The end is near. That's right. We're not like those who looked for the second coming of Jesus on October the 22nd, 1844, because they had misinterpreted things. We have more biblical information at our fingertips right at this time and seeing prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. We know it's the time of the end. If you remember last week, we talked about that biblical platform when those who went through the great discouragement, they sat down with their Bibles open and they sat all night long trying to figure out why didn't Jesus come? And as they were studying, they studied many things that they had never seen before, that was never taught in their churches. They began to 
to study and began to see things like the law, including the Sabbath. You know, many churches don't even talk about the law anymore, including today in our Seventh-day Adventist churches. Many times we don't talk about the law or we want to loosen the restrictions of the Sabbath so that people will be attracted to it. Uh, they discovered about the, the dead. When the dead, uh, when the person has died, they, Jesus says they are asleep and they will remain in their graves until the second coming of Jesus. Then they which are, have died in Jesus will be resurrected at that trumpet and we which are alive will be caught up with them to, re, to meet the Lord in the air and to remain with him. They'd never heard that. They talked about this second coming of Jesus. They knew that he didn't come on October the 22nd, but there were plenty of things that reveals that Jesus is going to come. And it's not going to be a secret. It's a literal second coming of Jesus. But many churches don't preach that. They say that it's going to be a secret type thing. And then the sanctuary. Most churches in the world today, not all of them, but most of them do not even touch the sanctuary. They don't understand the sanctuary. They think that it's all Old Testament things and there isn't anything to learn from the sanctuary. The problem is today that even in our own denomination, there are many of our churches right now who say, I don't want to hear anything about the sanctuary. We had some that were here visiting last week that mentioned the fact that they had mentioned something to one of the other Adventist churches in the areas about the sanctuary and the pastor asked them not to come back. But these were major pillars of these individuals who said, this is biblical. We see it right before our eyes based on the Bible. And then we talked about the three steps. In order to get onto the platform, they had to understand the three steps to get on the firm foundation. It was the first and the second and the third angel's message of Revelation chapter 14. We took a look at that last week. A lot of people are stuck. A lot of people who call themselves Christians are stuck of accepting even the first angel's message. And if they can't accept the first angel's message, they can't accept the second angel's message, and they can't accept the third angel's message. And they certainly won't stand on the biblical platform of Jesus' people, the remnant, who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. We read early writings page 260 and 261. They have so darkened their understanding that they can see no light in the third angel's message, which shows the way into the most holy place. Therefore, they have no knowledge of the way into the most holy, and they cannot be benefited by the intercession of Jesus. If we cannot accept the three angels' message, even within our own denomination, the benefit of the intercession of Jesus will not be helpful to us. If we do away with the sanctuary and we don't look at it and we don't understand it, we will not benefit for the intercession of Jesus. He's there on our behalf, isn't he? He's there to try to save us, to, to help us to get into the heavenly kingdom. What's happening in the most holy place? Does it apply to us today? We have to look at it. Jesus is ministering on our behalf. He went from the holy place on October the 22nd, 1844. He went through the curtains in the heavenly sanctuary. 
and entered into the most holy place. And there he started a ministry on our behalf, starting with his church, starting with the dead. It's the investigative judgment to see who is fit to enter into the heavenly kingdom. Don't you think that's important? We better understand it. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin and for salvation. Did you notice that he says for those who are waiting for his appearing? There is something that we have to do while Jesus is doing his ministry up in heaven. There's a part that we have to play here on this earth. We believe that Jesus is there and He's ministering on our behalf. It's extremely important to understand His ministry. But then a part of that ministry is things that we have to do ourselves. Christ's work tells us that His work in the most holy place is this. To appear in the presence of God for us as our mediator. That's what it said in Hebrews. Isn't that important? We have to have that mediator. We cannot do it on ourselves. We cannot stand before God our Father and live because by the brightness of His glory, we would be consumed instantly. So we need a mediator, and that's Jesus. He's there to forgive our confessed sins. We have to come to Him and confess that we are sinners. The third thing is to perform a work of judgment. Jesus is judging all of us right now. He starts with the dead. By the way, does it ever say in the Bible when He stops judging the dead and He starts with the living? It doesn't say. We don't know when that's going to take place. I don't know when your name is going to come up before the judgment scene. You don't know it either. Don't you think that we need to be ready before our name comes before that? So we have to understand this is a very important thing. We have to understand this. Let's keep going. This scripture in Hebrew tells us that we need to purify or cleanse the sanctuary of the record of our sins. There has to be a cleansing that has to take place in heaven. Those sins have accumulated. Jesus bore the sins for us on the cross, right? But that's not the end of it. Some people teach that's the end of it. That's all you need to do. It is taken to heaven. But he's going to place the sins on the rightful one who is guilty. That's the scapegoat. Who's the scapegoat? Satan. But that hasn't taken place yet. So this is all accumulated there. 
But there's going to be a time coming when that's going to be cleansed. Those who are unjust are going to remain unjust still. Those who are just, those who are righteous, they're going to remain righteous still. Something's going to happen at that point, and then he's going to come, and then the rightful blame is going to be put on the devil himself. The fifth thing, to put away or to make final the disposition of sin. Praise God, there's a time coming when sin will be eradicated and it will, we don't have to worry about death or sickness or suffering or problems or anything else. It's going to be taken care of. I praise God that that day is coming. And then he, Jesus is going to come again without sin. So I think His ministry in heaven right now is of extreme importance to all of us. Every Seventh-day Adventist ought to know and understand His ministry that's taking place. Without His ministry, we would not have eternal life. That's pretty important. You want to have eternal life. And His ministry is taking place. We looked last week and we knew that on October the 22nd, 1844, started the judgment, the investigative judgment. That is important. Jesus desires, we discovered last week, Jesus desires more than anything else to be able to give to us eternal life. All of heaven is focused on that. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on eternal life. He's going to do everything possible to make sure that you and your family are saved. He was willing to die. So He's working on our behalf. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 and 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month, that's the day of atonement, shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall, what's the next word? Afflict. We're going to look at that in a minute. You shall afflict your souls. Remember I said there's a part we have to do. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Do you know what the word afflict means? I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary. In the dictionary it says to cause great pain. Afflict means to cause great pain. That could be physical pain, mental pain, or spiritual pain. I looked up the word in the Hebrew language. Someone just said shared this morning in my Sabbath school class that they're discovering that Hebrew is a very picturesque language. That sometimes in the English we don't we look at it, but if we was to see it in Hebrew, we'd understand more. In Hebrew, it means to bow down so low that you can't get any lower. It means to empty ourself before God. But in doing that, we're going to feel, we're going to hurt. Because what we're doing, we're not only bowing down before Him, but we're saying, I can't do it. Sin has so permeated me, is so in control of me. My selfish desires are not the desires of heaven that I cannot change. And I don't like what I see within my life. 
when in the most holy place in the sanctuary, when the high priest was to go in once a year into the sanctuary, all the people gathered outside of the sanctuary itself. And they afflicted themselves. They poured out their hearts. When the high priest went in, they were still trying to think, is there any sin that I have in my life that I have not asked for forgiveness? You see, before when that priest goes into the most holy place, one of the things he has with him is the censer. He has a censer with, with incense. And it still represents the prayers of the people that are going on that is there. And he places that in the most holy place right before the Ark of the Covenant. People are looking and they're saying, these are things that have controlled my life. These are the things that the Bible says is wrong. God is displeased with this type of an action. This is what's controlling me. And they're afflicting themselves and they're, they're throwing themselves down on the ground and they're saying, Lord, forgive me. I want to change. I need a new life. That's the affliction. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, that's afflicting ourselves. We're confessing our sins to God. He, who's the He? As Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then what does He do? He cleanses me from all of my unrighteousness. While we're out here laying ourselves on the ground, pleading for a change, asking for forgiveness, He promises that He's going to forgive us. We still have that, that incense of prayers that are going up before the, in the judgment time. We not only have that, but He then is going to supply the power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There has to be a change within our lives. Don't think, I, oh, I can, I can go on through life and do just exactly what I'm doing right here and now and I don't have to change. That's not the case, brothers and sisters. There has to be a change in God's people. We're going to see why here in just a minute. We have to be open for the cleansing of all unrighteousness in order to be qualified for heaven. Do you know that that word qualified is found in the Bible? Take a look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. Here's Paul writing to the church and look what he says. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Boy, never stop praying. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What are we to be filled with? The will. The knowledge of His will. Okay? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may have a walk worthy of the Lord. What are we supposed to be doing? Walking with the Lord. Okay. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Remember, it's His power that's going to change me, not mine. His glorious power for all patience 
and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saint in the life. God is in the process while He's in the, in the most holy place, going through the investigative judgment, He is in the process, if you allow Him to qualify you to be ready for heaven. He wants a qualified people. That means we've got to change. We cannot remain the same. What is Paul saying? He's saying this, Humbly we are to pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We're to walk worthy of the Lord. We are to please the Lord by being fruitful. By And you remember he says, by your fruits you will know them. So people are going to know whether we're of Christ or whether we're not. By increasing our knowledge of God to gain strength by His glorious power. And then we are to learn patience. Keep that word in mind. Patience. Long-suffering and joy. Have you heard those terms before, patience, long-suffering, joy, fruit of the Spirit. Do you see the change? We are to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. That means we are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. God's people, if they are really wanting to go to heaven, will be changed, but they will not be led by self. They will be led by the Spirit of God who's going to show forth His fruit through us before Jesus comes. And thank God for qualifying us to be saints. To be ready. There has to be a change during the judgment. And the judgment is going on right now, so when does the change have to take place? Right now. I don't know when the judgment's going to stop, because when the judgment is stopped, guess what? Guess what the high priest throws down? The censer, the incense, which means what? It's over. Your prayers, you can ask for forgiveness then, but I tell you what, it won't do any good. It's too late. Don't think you can put it off. Today is the day to make changes within your life by the power of His Holy Spirit. But I've got to be willing to throw myself down and say, I've made a mess of my life. I cannot control my life. I must die to self. I must allow the Spirit of God to control my life starting right now. You want me to keep going? It's 12 o'clock. You can go home. Review and Herald. March 26, 1895. Listen to this. Christ does not find His subjects fitted for His kingdom. You know who she's talking to? Members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And He's saying to her, let me tell you, back in 1895, and they're more spiritual than we are now, He's saying to them, Look, as I look out across my church, you're not ready for my kingdom. Do you see why he's delaying? His church is not ready. But he qualifies them by his divine power. Only if you let him. If you won't let him, he can't qualify you. 
Christ draws them to himself by an unseen power. He's trying to draw us closer and closer and closer to him. But you know what? When we're in control, we want to do like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Run and hide. Not getting closer, but to get farther away from him. But he wants us to draw closer and closer because of this unseen power. As they are drawn into spiritual, into the spiritual atmosphere, they realize they have exchanged captains. You know what a captain is? That's the one that's in control of the ship. And we've exchanged captain. Who's the captain before? Beforehand. Let me tell you something. It isn't Satan itself. You was in control. The devil might influence you to be able to do something, but I tell you what, selfishness is in total control of you. You ultimately choose to follow after the devil. You don't have to, but it's your choice. So you're the captain of your life, but as you're drawn closer, notice that they change captains. And who's the captain now? If you die to self, Jesus is the captain now. And they take their direction from the lips of Jesus. It's not my will, but thine be done in my life. He's the captain. He knows what's best. I'm going to follow his orders, not my orders. How do you do that? By beholding Jesus, by obeying his requirements. Remember that. They become changed into his image from character to character, from the wrong sinful character to the character of whom? Of Christ. I have to reflect the character of Christ within my life. Do I need to hold a mirror up in front of you? you got to look in that mirror and say, am I in my life right now reflecting the character of Jesus? If the answer is no, you need to fall down lower than your knees You need to get on your belly and say, Lord, forgive me. They've become changed in His image from character to character until they are distinguished from the rest of the world. Are we to look like the world? Is this church supposed to adopt the ways of the world? Are we to teach the teachings of the world? We are to be totally different than the rest of the world. Do you see how we have to change? The people are waiting outside the sanctuary. They're waiting. They're trying to say, Oh, Lord, is there anything that I'm doing within my life that is considered sinful, that would keep me out of the heavenly kingdom? Am I reflecting the world or am I reflecting the character of Jesus? Am I allowing in the church the things that attract the world, or am I speaking truth in the church in the name of Jesus? If I don't preach to you what I'm preaching to you today, I have failed as a pastor. I'm not preaching for popularity. I'm preaching because I am concerned about our denomination, about our church and where it's going. That's why some of you are here. 
It's because the sanctuary is not being preached in some of your churches. Some of them are saying, you bring up the sanctuary in my church, I want you to leave. If you bring up the spirit of prophecy in my church, I want you to leave. If you don't accept what we are doing here to attract the world, I want you to leave. I tell you what, in this church, I want you to reflect the character of Jesus and I want you to stay. What is the distinction that makes us different from the rest of the world? In order to answer that, we have to ask the question, where does the judgment begin? It begins in the church. So the change has to take place in the church. It's not the pastor that has to change. It's all of us. And we all have to be willing to work together, to pray together, to strive together to seek the power of the Holy Church, of the Holy Spirit, to change this church into a church of Christ. I'm not saying about denominations. Did you know that Jesus was a Seventh Day Adventist? Yeah. Didn't he believe in the Sabbath? Didn't he believe in the advent of Jesus? Does he believe in the Spirit of Prophecy? Does he believe in the Three Angels' Message? Does he believe in God as the Father? Does he believe in investigative judgment? Does he believe to give tithe? Does he believe in all the things of the Seventh-day Adventist church? Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist existed before the denomination ever existed. It existed in Jesus. Jesus says, since you're taking the name that I have lived for here on this earth, I want you to act like Seventh-day Adventist. I want you to act like Jesus. Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the what? Remember I talked about when we looked at in back a little bit ago, it talked about the patience of Jesus' saints. Here's the patience of the saints. Here's the description. By the way, Revelation 14, verse 12 is right in the midst of what description? It's a description of the third angel's message. Okay? So this is the description of God's people who believe in the judgment that's taking place, who's got a message that is supposed to go to the entire world that is not like the world because they have the message of Jesus to spread. And here are they. If you want to know who they are, he says, here are the patients of the saints who are qualified for heaven. Here are those who keep what? The commandments of God and what? If they don't go hand in hand, it doesn't work. If I teach only the commandments of God, what am I? A legalist. If I teach only faith in Jesus and you don't have to keep the commandments of God, what am I? A sinner. <laughs> do you know how many denominations says that all you've got to do is believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's all you have to believe in? You don't have to believe in anything else. You don't have to keep the commandments of God. You don't have to do anything else You just have to believe in Jesus and his death on the cross, and that's all you have to do. That's only part of the first angel's message. We're going to see that in a minute. 
You want me to keep going? I want you to note this. This is the description of, of uh, those who accept all three angels' messages. And commandment-keeping and faith go hand in hand. Book Education, page 263. Every departure from right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his, that's Jesus' ideal, brings grief to whom? If I am not willing to make a change in my life to reflect his character, to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, and the things that I do are bringing heartache to him, to me and to my life. And, to, and I told the, the Sabbath school today, if, if any of my Sabbath school class commits one sin, it not only affects their life, it affects their family life, but it affects the life of the church. Because I'm not living up to what Jesus wants me to live up to before his coming. I am to be a qualified person for heaven. And if I'm not, it hurts Jesus. I don't want to hurt Jesus. Affliction of the soul. If what we do wrong pains Jesus, and that's what we just read, our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, and our desires should also pain us. That's how we are afflicted. When I come to that realization that my life, the way it is, if it's hurting Jesus, I need to drop down on my belly and say, I'm sorry. And boy, do I need help. Being afflicted is not enough. There is expected a change in our behavior that will set us apart from the rest of the Christian world, keeping the commandments of God. But I thought that the keeping of the commandments would not save a person. Look what it says in James 2, 17 and 18. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, that's the keeping of the commandments, that's what our work is to be, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. God's remnant people are to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. By keeping the commandments of God, it reveals to the world my faith in Jesus. If I leave the faith off, I'm a legalist, not any better than the rest of the world. If I only say that I need faith and I don't need the commandments, I'm lost as well, too. That's part of once saved, always saved, by the way. And that's not taught in the Bible. And so I'm not following the teachings of Jesus Christ. Those not receiving the mark of the beast. That's who these people are. Those that, have, that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, they're not going to receive the mark of the beast. 
They keep the commandments of God. That's the works. And they have the faith of Jesus. Faith and works go together. They go hand in hand. Gospel workers, page 315. The only question asked in the judgment. Where's the judgment taking place? Heaven. Who's the high priest? Christ. So here's the only question asked. He's there on our behalf. It will be, have they been obedient to my what? That's the only question asked. They don't say, did they dress right? That's part of it. We're going to see that before long. But they're not going to ask, how many times did you attend church? It's part of it, but it's not everything. It's going to ask, have you followed the commandments that I've set before you? By the way, commandments... In the Bible, learn this in a seminary, and it's true. The commandments in the Bible is, is the Ten Commandments, but it's even more than that. It's every teaching that God has in the Bible for, his, for mankind. That includes the dietary laws, includes everything. It's just as important to him as the Ten Commandments. So that means I may have to make some changes in my diet. I may have to make some changes in in other things within my life because the teaching is there. And I want to follow the will of Jesus. And I want to follow, I want him to be my captain. And if he's going to be my captain, then I must follow the words that come from his lips, which is recorded in that Holy Bible. That's the only question. Have they been obedient to my commandments? Desire of Ages, page 763. The warfare against God's law, which was begun in heaven. Warfare, refuting God's law is nothing new. That has taken place up in heaven when Satan was rebelling. Will be continued until the end of time. Every man will be tested. Every woman and every child. Obedience or disobedience is the question to be decided by the whole world. All will be called to choose between the law of God and the laws of men. Here the dividing line will be drawn. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, have said, I'm going to follow the laws of God. Those who say, I'm a Christian, but they choose to follow the traditions of men, are going against God's teachings and God's laws. And that's what they're going to look at. That's what's taking place in the judgment. So why is the law so important? First Selected Messages, page 240. The glory of Christ is revealed in the law, which is the transcript of his character. What are we supposed to reflect in our lives? The character of Jesus. You want to know what the character of Jesus is? All you got to do is look at his laws and his teachings. Because that's what Jesus was going to do That's what Jesus did when he was here on this earth. That's what he wants to be reflected. That's what the devil says can never happen. 
There's no denomination that could ever reflect the laws of Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, I've got a remnant. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Jesus. You just watch. We're the Job's of our age. Do I trust him with such an important assignment? Sons and daughters, devotional page 42 says, Obedience to the laws of God develops in a man a beautiful character. Guess what beautiful character that is? The character of Jesus. Review and Herald, February the 4th, 1890. Our righteousness is found in obedience to God's law through the merits of Jesus Christ. We should dwell on the law and the gospel. Don't leave any of it out. They both got to be there. Showing the relation of Christ to the great standard of righteousness, which is the law. I've got to change. You've got to change. All God's people have got to change. We've got to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in this world. Some people say, all I have to do is believe in the death of Jesus and that's it. They say the gospel of Jesus is what saves me and that's all. Not the law. It was done away with. No one can keep the law of God The law is not important. That's being spoken today, even in our own denomination. Just remember this. The law of God not only includes all the Ten Commandments, but it also includes all the teachings of God. Every teaching that comes from God is His law of truth. Now look, there's the platform. If you want to stand on the firm platform that started in 1844 by God's remnant people, when they opened up God's Word, you have to understand this. You also have to accept the three angels' message. But look, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, saying, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the spring of water. That's the Sabbath. Let me tell you something. Most people, when they come to the first angel's message, they say, It talks about it's supposed to go out and share the everlasting gospel. It says, that's what I'm saved by is the everlasting gospel. I don't need anything else. This is where their hang-up is. Because they don't look at the fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has already started. They don't see that. They say, oh, no, 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 no. Judgment hasn't started. I'm saved by Jesus. I'm automatically going to be translated into heaven in this secret rapture thing. And then anybody else, they're going to get a second chance to be saved. We don't have to worry about the judgment. But the message goes out, the judgment has already started. And they don't want to accept that. They don't want to accept that it's taken place. And to worship Him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of the water, that's the Sabbath. I don't want anything to do with the law, and I don't want anything to do with the Sabbath. I'm going to keep Sunday. Even though it does, they know it doesn't say anything in the Bible about Sunday and keeping it holy. But they want to keep it anyway. So you see where they're stumbling? They can't accept even the first entire 
message of the first angel's message. How are they going to get on the platform of God? If they can't accept that, how in the world are they going to be able to accept about the second angel's message that Babylon is confusion and the false teachings that are going to take place? How can they ever accept about the mark of the beast or anything else? They don't even want, they don't worry about that. It's not even projected on the news. They, they make movies about all kinds of weird things that's going to take place, but that's all movie land. Take a look at early writings. By rejecting the two former, that's the first and second angel's message, they have so darkened their understanding that they can see no light in the third angel's message which shows the way into the most holy place. They cannot accept the ministry of Jesus that's going on right now, even though it is so plain and so true. So you see why we have to be different? We've got something to preach. It doesn't say that there's no hope for them. They have to see the first, second, and third angel's message before they're going to see anything else. We've got to preach it. You've got to live it. You've got to talk about it. You've got to do all these things. The gospel only is not enough. You have to accept the judgment by the law, the Sabbath, and the false teachings of Babylon before you can understand the ministry of Jesus in heaven. Inside the ark in the ministry of heaven, what's in it? The Ten Commandments. It must be important if that's part of the judgment. I can't do away with the Ten Commandments. Is keeping all the commandments important? Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. But the problem is, and I have church members tell me this, I keep trying. I keep trying. I keep trying to keep the commandments of God. I keep trying to maintain the faith of Jesus. And I keep failing. How is it possible to keep the commandments of God? You want to know? That's what we're going to look at next week. But in the meantime, let's turn in our hymnals to hymn number 335. What a wonderful Savior. 335.